Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to thank all my subscribers and listeners that dedicate a little bit of time just to hear what I got to say. Thank you so much, but the struggle is real and it continues. Please spread awareness and do your part by making sure that you are subscribed and liking each of the episodes that you listen to. Share my episodes and, and spread awareness of my channel and what it is that I'm doing. These things, these little things right here is what helps me grow and helps sponsorship come my way as I am a struggling ex-con. I appreciate the support, the love, and thank you so much for tuning in. More to come. This episode has been brought to you by our friends over at CMB Law. If you find yourself in a tight spot and you need an attorney to trust, call Courtney over at CMB Law, 941-747-4440 or 941-725-9457. You can also visit her site at cmbjustice.com. CMBJustice.com Again, that's Courtney at CMB Law. Tell them that Thomas Free Me sent you from the Thomas Free Me podcast show. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Thomas Free Me with the Thomas Free Me TV and podcast show. As promised, I brought back the wonderful Tanawa, Mr. Tanawa, and we are going to be breaking down uh, what the Constitution of America is, what it means to us, what we are, how all of this formed as far as government, what government means, and um, all in hopes to really understand that when you hear my message and, and you hear me say that we are the boss, you know, that we are in charge, it's, it, it starts to resonate and you can really start to understand what that means when I say that. So, uh, we have a lot to cover. Without further ado, um, Tanawa is going to break down exactly uh, what government is, and today's episode is going to be mostly on social, the social compact theory. So, um, good afternoon, sir, and and if you will, just take off. Okay. So. <clears throat> As I, uh, as I start here, I want to say that, that I wrote a, a, a letter some time ago uh, when all this started, and uh, uh, this letter has, it has a lot of magic to it, has a lot of meaning. You know, I, I, I got to know a lot of different people uh, that were involved in this system, and when I did, once I, once I got to, 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 to see how unjust it actually was, I wrote this letter, mm -hmm. and that was the day that I committed to, to actually doing this. So I, uh, <clears throat> I want to go ahead and recite that letter real quick, um, and uh, this will this will kind of set the tone for what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and uh, and uh, what this means to me. Because this is this is very important to me. What what, what I'm doing now. Um, 243 years ago, a great and powerful nation was established through the faith and fury of God in defiance to acts of oppression and abuse, which are contrary to the natural fruits of freedom. As a result, great men arose, awake to a new vision, a free one, where all citizens are bestowed certain inalienable rights from and by our Creator, life, liberty. And the pursuit of happiness are not simply terms that are extended to the wealthy. They're not table scraps that are fought for as they fall from the table of the successful. No, they're freedoms. They're bestowed to all, regardless of age, race, wealth, intelligence, or history. It's the ability to visualize the dream of one's future and the power to then manifest such a dream. Success and failure is upon the individual and not the government. Limitations come simply from a person's inability to dream or the sins of oppression. Today, we call these men great, heroes, forefathers, and patriots. And they become symbols of our pride and our aspirations. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and so many more who are worthy of our mention and obliged to our eternal gratitude. But the story could so easily have been different. For before these great men were called patriots, they were called rebels, criminals, and tyrants. Their vision was dismissed and their cause was laughed at. But they knew something that no one else did. They had a power that none of their enemies understood. It was the power of God and truth. Indeed, our nation is founded by rebels. And today, by delivering this notice in the presentation of irrefutable Reasonable, sound, just, and clear violations of the rights bestowed upon us by the United States Constitution and is designed by our creator. New rebels have now emerged. But not to destroy a nation, instead to work together to bring about positive change and correct the flaws in our foundation so that no more will justice not prevail. No more will the innocent be punished. That we will return to the roots of our nation's freedoms and the source of our once great hope that God Almighty is the only true and righteous judge and that in his glory and in his power, guilt and innocence can be ascertained. 
The petitioners included in this written allegation are not only witnesses to these atrocities, but each and every single one of them have also been victim to them many times. But we are all very proud to claim that the blood of those rebels who fought Turner Freedoms 243 years ago is the very same blood that runs through all of our veins. So you can call us rebels. You can call us criminals. History, however, it will call us patriots. United we stand, but divided we fall. A great division has been placed across our nation, weakening our greatness and threatening our very existence. Am I not your brother? Has God not commanded your forgiveness and his vengeance? Is not your crimes perpetrated against me not equal to the allegations of the very same crimes perpetrated by me? How can one claim the rights and ability to judge me for an action to which the judge himself holds more guilt, yet refuses to cleanse himself first? My brother, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly move speck from my eye. If you say you want to judge, seek first judgment of your own house, and then you'll be qualified to come and help cleanse mine. With great power comes great responsibility. What is easy is not necessarily what is right, and what is right can sometimes seem wrong. But with God, all things are possible, and with the law, the correct path is now illuminated. This path will not be easy. There will be much work demanded, and many apologies will have to be offered, and that will take much courage. But where courage and its product transpires, strength will inversely come. That strength is the image of forgiveness, not vengeance. The strength to heal a divided nation because of the glorious gift of new life that God has given to us. To no longer be bound by the sins of our past except the freedom of our futures, to truly be able to turn away from our old sinful lives because sin no longer has its hold on us is precisely the recipe that God has prepared in order for the courage and the strength needed to produce this amazing future for our country to now come about. Change does not come without reason. Reason does not come without wisdom, and wisdom does not come without mistakes. For a tree to grow, a seed must first die. The roots of tyranny and oppression can amass great evils. From those evils can come the condemnation of the innocent, the defamation of a good name, the confiscation of property, or the alienation and destruction of a family. We have been told the truth and the way to destroy evil from the ruler and creator of all. You overcome evil with good, and you never repay evil for its evil. So I implore you, with the greatest convictions that I can muster, grab hold of the weeds that are destroying our nation, take them by the roots of their evil, and let's extract them from our great nation. We who are free can only boast in the freedoms that are real and not an illusion. We're each only as free as the freedoms that are extended to all, and not simply some. Any time of freedom is demanded or stolen from one through justification or ignorance, that freedom and right is lost to all, and not simply the target of scorn and punishment. Any freedom which can be removed from one can be removed from all, and is no longer freedom, but simply an illusion of freedom. Evil shows no favoritism. When evil is given birth, it becomes a thief, and once a thief, we all must bear the consequences of its evil thievery. Vengeance solves nothing. Casting blame fails to grasp the greater message, and our mutual hope should be reconciliation, not just with each other, but with the faith in the source of our nation's foundation. We are a nation of laws, and those laws are essential to maintaining order and peace, but more importantly, we are a nation founded on faith. We must return to the faith of our design system, a system that sometimes the guilty person may appear to be set free, but more importantly, a system that if utilized properly, innocent people will not be punished. Today, as of this moment, I can tell you, and I bear my own witness testimony as God is my witness as well, innocent people are being punished because the system is broken and it is never acceptable, not in any country, state, city, or household for an innocent person to be wrongfully or illegally imprisoned. Ignorance is not a defense. Simply because you do not understand the laws of gravity or believe in the laws of God does not mean that you're not bound by them. Lack of knowledge resulting in a violation does not eliminate you from the ramifications of such violations. The illegal and highly destructive acts perpetrated by the justice system, although I do not believe were intentional or malicious, does not negate their existence. Crimes done in secret and the dark are still crimes, and justice still deserves rendered. However, as the petitioner, I bear great responsibility in that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Therefore, peaceful resolution of mercy for your ignorance I offer to you. In closing, as Sir Brother James told us in his letter, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then choose not do it. Everyone makes mistakes. No one is perfect. But the difference between average and great, a sheep in a lion, is the ability to produce wisdom from one's mistakes. Everyone falls down, but only fools fail to stand back up. A repentant sinner is always forgiven when the repentance is sincere and new course is charted. But woe to anyone when their pride and arrogance remains blind and cannot feel sorrow and compassion for the destruction that they themselves have caused. May God in his righteous judgment have mercy on the souls. This letter has been prepared in the writing of my own hand, but the devastation exists through lives and painful experiences of each and every single member of the attached petitioner list. Not one person, not one marriage, not one family, not one household, not one city, not one state can claim that the violations of the rights presented and proven within the argument presented has not affected them somewhere or in some way of their lives. When freedom is robbed from those who are free, truly I tell you that everyone pays for it, whether they realize it or not. Respectfully and peacefully, a servant of justice. So leading into the Constitution, the Constitution derives from what's called the social compact theory. So what happened was, Man in his free state, when he's free, in his natural state, he can do anything he wants. He can murder someone. He can rape someone. He can steal. He can do anything he wants because he's free. And he has that freedom to be able to do such. When we want our freedom, our forefathers want their freedom, and we inherited it, 
uh, we received our freedom. And we, we, we returned to our natural state. And as such, we decided we needed some sort of structure, some sort of relationship that existed among the people to uh, allow for the existence of, 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 this, of the individuals to continue to survive. Because you see, in a natural state of man, only the strong survive. The weak and the, uh, the minority and the, and the disenfranchised, they don't. Because, of course, the strong will always, will always push the weak out. So we wanted to protect that. We wanted to ensure that everybody had, had the right to be able to live and to be able to, to be free and to have liberty and to, and, to, um, and to grow and live their life the way that they see fit without governmental interference or without the majority interference. So the forefathers, they, they were studying how best to do this. And they decided that the social compact was, was of course, the best solution. Now, the social compact theory goes like this. Uh, each one of those freedoms that they have is in a natural state of man, such as the freedom to kill. If we give up our freedom to kill, and we all agree as, as, a, as a society, each one of us agree that we will give up our, our right to be able to kill someone, in exchange, we will accept the, uh, receive the right to not be killed. So we don't have a right to not be killed in, in our natural state. We only have the right to kill. So by giving up one right or accepting the obligation to not kill someone, we have now received the right to not be killed. And that's where rights come from. That's why the, the duty comes before the right, because I have a duty to not kill someone. That's the establishment of the contract. Constitution is simply a contract. That's all it is. It is a legal relationship that changes your legal relationship with someone else. And so when it says in the Constitution that we have the right to life, liberty, and happiness, our duty and responsibility more than anything else is to ensure that this individual has the right to live and he can live his life. And we give him that, that, that ability, that he has the liberty to be able to make his own decisions for his family and for himself and, and for his best his, his situation, his life. He knows better than I do how to live. And then we have a responsibility to ensure that we provide a, an environment where they, can, where they can grow and be successful and be happy. So, uh, of course, I'm not responsible for their happiness, neither are you, but, uh, but we need to provide that environment. We need to allow these people to be able to, to be happy. And that's our duty and responsibility. That's what we accept through the Constitution of the United States. It's not some sort of com uh, complex, you know, um, uh, legal jargon. It simply is our decision to love our neighbor and care for them enough that we will give them the ability to grow and be happy and to be free and to live and so on. So uh, when I say Barter system. right, yeah, well, so, so we're going to give up all the bad things that we don't want, all the, all the bad things that, that, uh, that we have the freedom to do in our natural state. And in exchange, we will receive rights. So that's why Thomas Jefferson and uh, uh, Jacques Rousseau, that's why they say that we gain civil rights through the acceptance of obligation to protect the rights of others. You see, we, we ourselves, we receive those rights when we choose to obligate ourselves to protect them for other people. Mm -hmm. So when we're no longer protecting them for other people, guess what? We lose those rights because our rights are only exist when we choose to accept the obligation to protect the rights of others. Uh, so. Um, so you have essentially two different groups of people. You always have a majority and you always have a minority, you know, and there's, uh, that exists all the time. I mean, there, there, is, there isn't an established class that's from a legal perspective, but there will always be a class of people. There will always be someone who will be looking upon another group of people and saying, you know, that, that, and, and acting in an oppressive manner. So the purpose of the Constitution was to protect those individuals, was to protect the, the minority from the majority. And so... Today, for instance, we see something completely, completely different. We see the Constitution itself and the law and the court system that's actually being used as a weapon against the minority, which is not at all what it was intended to do. These judges, the purpose of the judges and the purpose of the justices, they're known as the guarantors of, of liberty mm -hmm. and so, or, the, or the defenders of liberty. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be defending the minority. They're supposed to be getting in there and protecting them from the majority. In acting in a fair manner. I mean, that, that was the whole purpose of the, of, the, of the judiciary. And they've just lost their way. And uh, we, need to, we need to work on getting them back. So the social compact theory, it goes kind of like this, okay? One day, Caveman Bob, just sitting up, in his, up against his lean-to, he looks out across this canyon and he sees Caveman Bill over on the other side. And he thinks to himself, you know what? Caveman Bill's kind of big. I don't want him to kill me. So he decides he's going to go over there and have a discussion with Caveman Bill. He goes over there. And, uh, and, he, and he sits down with Cape Man Bill. He says, listen, I don't want to be killed. I would like to live. Can we make an agreement that you will not kill me? And he says, well, that sounds like a good idea because I was a little bit concerned about you killing me. So, yes, we will establish an agreement that says that we will not kill each other 
And in exchange, they will both receive the right to not be killed. So they make that agreement and it becomes, it becomes the, the origins of the social compact. Now, one day, another caveman, caveman Tom up the road, he hears about this agreement. He says, boy, I want to get in on that too. So he comes on down and on his way, he picks up another five cavemen and they get there and they have the conversation with Bob and, and Bill and they agree that they will all get join this and they will all give up their right to kill each other and in exchange they will receive the right to not be killed. So now they have an established right to not die. And but as they were as they were getting finished, one of the uh, one of the cavemen he says, you know what, I'm sick of getting my stuff stolen all the time. Can we make an agreement that we will not steal from each other and in exchange we will receive the right to not have some something stolen? And they all thought about it and said, that's a great idea. I'm sick of getting my stuff stolen as well. So they all make the agreement now to give up another right, natural right that they have, the natural right to steal. And in exchange, they will receive the, the guaranteed right to not have things stolen from them. So the right to not have something stolen doesn't exist when you're in your natural state, only the right to steal. So only the negative parts exist in the, in the natural state of man. So in exchange, we are actually creating something that didn't exist before. We're creating something that is desirable by accepting the obligation, each one of us, to not do or perform the, the, the negative or derogatory act. So this goes on and goes on as it grows and grows and grows, and, and more people come along and with more ideas on things to accept. Each one of these acceptance, each one of these obligations is actually a law, okay? So if you look at law, law is, is not complicated either. Really, all that law is, is it is the establishment of an obligation. That's all that law is, okay? So, for instance, I have an obligation to not speed my car, or I have an obligation to not kill someone. I have an obligation to not violate someone. These are obligations that exist. That's all that the law is, is simply obligations. And as we accept these obligations, then, then we, in, in, in exchange, receive the right that's protected by that obligation. So, therefore, when someone chooses to breach their, their, their duty to, uh, or their obligation to not steal from me, and someone steals from me, now I've had my right violated and I now need to be made whole. So the right actually comes always after the violation of the duty or the obligation. That's why rights always derive from another's duty to act. There is no right that's violated until someone else breaches their duty to act. So when you accept these obligations, uh, such as us individually as, as, as the people, we accept those obligations by, by electing our officials, our, our political officials to go to, to Congress and they make these laws. They make these laws on our behalf. Now, the laws have gotten a little bit out of hand. We have way too many of them at this point in time. It's very difficult to be able to, to, um, uh, to, be able to abide by the laws when they're so complex that you have to have a doctorate degree in order to understand them. I mean, how can you, how can you say to Bob or, or Tom that he violated the law when he can't even read the law? You know, because it's so complex and because it's written in such a way that, that nobody can understand it. You know, all these double negatives. It, that's not the way the law is supposed to be. And when you read the Constitution of the United States, you see it is very direct and poignant it, it's simple you have the freedom of speech simple right you don't need it more complex than that right you have the the, the freedom of religion it doesn't need to be more complex than that you don't need to define the hours in which you have the freedom of speech you don't need to find the days in which no you have that right it exists period and so the law is supposed to be quite simple because we want it to be simple so that people can understand it because there are three things that are necessary in order for crime to occur you have to have the corpus electi, which is the body of crime, what actually occurred. You have to have that actus reus, which is the actual act that occurs. And then you have to have the third thing, which is mens rea. You have to have a guilty mind. You have to know that you, that you broke the law. Absent any one of those three things, you don't have a crime at all. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the crimes that are allegedly happening that I've I'm, I'm seen across the country and, and talking with people, there's an absence of mens rea. They don't even realize that they broke the law because they, they, they don't understand the law. So then they're coming into this, this courtroom being arraigned for something they don't even understand and pleading guilty to it because they, they, they can't read the law. They have to have you know, this, this individual come in to represent them, to interpret this law, and even they can't interpret it accurately. So you know, the thing is, is that each one of these obligations that we accept is a law, and that's where the law arises. So the laws, laws arise from our acceptance of these obligations. Now, I talked last time about sovereignty, right? And sovereignty derives from the theory that the king can do, can do no wrong because the king is sovereign and the laws come from him. And as a result, uh, you can't sue him or charge him with a, with a crime unless he gives his consent. Now, we give our consent by simply uh, electing the individuals into office. And by doing so, um, we give our consent to be subject to the laws that are, that are in question. 
Um, that means that we are, in fact, the ones who are sovereign. Nobody can take our rights away from us. They're, we're free. They were given to us. They're our entitlement. The only way that they can be taken is through our consent. We have to agree to do it. And that's why if you were to go out and read the FBI's website right now, or the Department of Justice, and I could show the exact page, but it says specifically that no one in America could be sent to prison without their consent. You have to give your permission to go to prison because you cannot have your freedom taken away. Government cannot take it from you without your permission. So we give our consent. Now, consent comes in many forms. And uh, um, it, it's primarily just, just simply uh, our silence more than anything. You know, as Plato said, silence is your consent. So when we give our consent, we're simply saying to the, to the court, yes, you have jurisdiction over me. Yes, you could do these things to me. And yes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing. But if we refuse our consent, then the court no longer has jurisdiction because they, because they don't have jurisdiction over the sovereign uh, uh, without, without his consent. Now, where, there's certain, yeah. where does that consent come in at? Like, say you just said, you know, how it says in the, in, the, in the DOJ, you know, nobody can be sent to prison without their consent. But that doesn't mean that anybody can just stand up and say, well, I'm not giving my consent to go to prison. So where is your everyday citizen giving that consent? They're giving it through their silence. They're, they're giving it through simply not speaking up and saying, I, I do not consent to this law. I do not subject myself to this law. Now, there's going to be argument, right? Because everyone's going to agree that to murder someone is going to be giving your consent. We don't, well, that, that's something that, that we're not going to allow. But there are other arbitrary laws that exist. And so one of the big theories behind, behind the development of our nation and development of our laws was that, was that when government becomes oppressive, when they, when, they, when they do things that are contrary to laws that are in, written in in place, when they do that, then we as a nation have the right and duty to take back our consent. We have the right and duty to restore our original liberty. That's how we, that's how we get the government to, re, to return to, uh, to a state of, of, of subjection to the people. You see, when we start to, to, to say to, uh, to government that, that you are governing us in a manner contrary to laws that we established, you know, for instance, in, in my case, when they, when they failed to have an indictment by a grand jury prior to holding me over for an infamous crime, guess what? That is in violation of Article one, of Clause 1 of Amendment 5. And as a result, I now have the right to take back my power. I give my power to you, but now you no longer have my power, government. And until you subject yourself back to my laws and to our laws, and guess what? I, I don't. I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to obey you. And it's not that I'm going to go out of my way and, and you know start start breaking law. No, I'm simply going to say that you no longer have the authority to be able to rule over me, because you have to subject yourself to the laws that we create. We create the laws. We 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 are the originator of them. And as a result, the agreement that's in place. Now we're, we're going to get to this now. But the agreement that's in place is that the government is to enforce the laws as the people dictate. And that's one of the, the, the unique elements of, of America was that, was that we, the people, we decide our future. It's up to us because we are the ones that, that, that determine how we are to be governed, right? That's why we, the people, give the government the power to govern through the consent of the government. We give our consent to be subjected to the laws, but it's the laws that we create, not that it creates. That's why the judicial branch has no legal authority to legislate. That's why the, the, um, the executive branch has no legal authority to legislate. They don't have the authority to create the laws because the laws must be made by the people. That's why Congress of the United States is responsible for all legislative powers, because the people are responsible for creating our own laws. And, and that's, that's a big problem that, that we have today. I mean, this isn't the time that I'm going to go over it, but when you have judges that are responsible for determining uh, the laws and the future of the laws, and then uh, producing laws that, that, are, that are contrary to, uh, to the Constitution. And then when we raise, as a United States citizen, when I raise a, an argument that pertains to a constitutional deprivation, and they say, you don't get that because this case from 1884 says that you don't, well, now we have an issue because now we have the judges or the judicial branch that is now altering or amending the Constitution of the United States based upon legal precedent. And that can't be, that can't be so. Because the lowest form of law, it's not even called law, it's called rulings, judges rule, let pe people create laws. So the people create laws, judges create rulings. Rulings do not have the authority to change the laws. So we, we decide what they are. And so today what we have is we have a system that is no longer being constructed based upon the, the, uh, the, the will of the people, but instead upon what's called judicial realism or legal realism, 
which is the theory that judges make the laws based upon their own political, social, or public policy. And so that's where we get into precedence and stereotypes, which we'll cover in, in, in this week. But so what happened once again is we created these laws, these obligations, we accepted these obligations. Now, this agreement, this contract that we put into place, it got so big that eventually, uh, eventually what happened was that, that, that when something wrong happened, when something occurred and someone's right was violated, there was nobody there or nothing there to be able to determine, you know, what, who, who was liable, what, what the damages were, um, and so on. So there arises the establishment of government. So government then arises, and government's sole purpose, the only purpose of government, is to, uh, is to, is to ensure the protection of the rights that are not given up within the social compact, right? So that was the sole purpose of government, was to protect those rights that were not given up in the compact. Government was to ensure the protection of life, liberty, and property, the ability to be happy, the pursuit of happiness. Those are the three things that government, no matter what, was supposed to do. That's the sole purpose of government. Government's not there to create the money. Well, I mean, it's written in the Constitution, but government's not there to, to, to control health care. Government's not there to interfere with, with private uh, uh, marketplace. That's not the role of government. The role of government it, it, from the very beginning was simply to preserve and protect the rights of, that were not given up within the contract. Within the social combat. So we have different rights that that's, that's exist within the Constitution that are written and actually written and enumerated within it. But then we have these other figments, right? These unknowns. And the forefathers knew that there were going to be things that would come up that were unknown. And when people talk about the Constitution, they say, oh, that's an old, outdated document. We need to update it because there's things that change. That's not how it works. That's not at all how it works. You know, the, the, the Constitution itself says that we reserve rights not enumerated within the constitution so we have the ability to say you know what this is uh, this is a um this is a right that we want to preserve now there's a difference between what's called a, a civil liberty and a civil right okay and this is really important a civil liberty is what is actually written in the constitution of the united states those should be preserved they can never be taken away without a modification or an amendment to the constitution of the united states okay so when it says you have the freedom of speech you cannot take away the freedom of speech from another individual without first eliminating, without first ratifying an amendment to the Constitution and eliminating that right. Okay, you can't do it. So, so there would be that. Right, government does not have the authority to alter, amend, or destroy the Constitution of the United States. Now, um, one of the reasons why the government can't do that is because if government were able to uh, to take away a right, that's not a right. That's a privilege. Because then the government is giving us a privilege. They're giving us this ability. You have the privilege to speak. Well, okay, privilege isn't a right. Privilege, privilege can be taken away by the government. But the government is not the originator of our rights. We are. We created those rights for us to be preserved and protected individually. So when government comes in and they make a ruling that says, you don't get this, well, guess what? Government has no legal authority to do that. And that, that kind of goes to, uh, goes to what's going on today with COVID and, and, and this illness is that government feels as though they can take away our rights, that our rights are subject to the conditions of the, of the, of the country. That if there's an illness that comes along, government has the legal authority to be able to, to shut it down. The president could shut down the whole country. That's not true. Our forefathers would have never written that into the Constitution. They would have never allowed that. Because if that's the case, then guess what? That would say that government can take away our rights at any point in time. They can create a, 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 an illness and say that this illness is going to kill everybody. And as a result, they're going to shut down the country so that we destroy small businesses. We destroy the backbone of our country. So we move and shift power from the people into government. That was never the intent. That would have never, ever been written. See, our forefathers, when they fought for our freedom, they weren't concerned about the individual. They were concerned about government. So do you think that they wrote these provisions to, to, to go against the people, to take away their rights? Absolutely not. That was not at all what the intent was. Well, let's get into let's let's touch on that just for a minute of of what that environment looked like at that time that these forefathers are are writing this out, you know, and and what their thought process was, you know, of course, in our opinions, you know, but as 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 um just just to that environment. Yeah. So when you when you read the Declaration of Independence, they actually call out a, a number of very specific allegations against the king, and they were things such as 
they have turned their, their ears away from justice. Justice is not heard anymore. They said that our petitions, our numerous petitions have fallen on, on, on deaf ears and have, and have had no action uh, occur. So they were petitioning the government for redress of grievances. They were asking the government saying, this is an injustice that's occurring to us. We want, we want a resolution to this. And they were ignoring them over and over and over again. Justice was ignored. They said that that, uh, that the majority of the of the cases and this was the king the the king of who Britain the king of England yeah the, the king, king of England yeah so so we were under under England but under British rule uh, yeah yeah so we were we were uh, originally most of the people that were here were here under uh, under under a, a penal system I mean a lot of our a lot of the original people that were sent to America were were, were prisoners they we were sent here as a as a punishment uh, a penal colony. And so, um, you know, we were naturally rebellious anyway. I mean, I think that's one of uh, one of our, our good strengths is that is that we're not going to not going to put up with a whole bunch of, uh, of BS because our our heritage is that is that we're not that type of people. And mm -hmm. uh, but so when you look at the Declaration of Independence and you read it, you actually you find a number of the things that 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 the that the king was doing against uh, against our colony, against our people. And uh, what's very interesting is that most of those things. Are happening right now today right we have taxation without representation absolutely and when you look at the justice system and and the the criminal uh, system you owe a debt to society so once again it's a it's a debt and when the government creates a debt that is in fact tax even if it is on an individual it's tax and so when we have taxation without representation who is establishing this debt against society without the grand jury the grand jury exists because the grand jury is the people, representative of the people. The people determine that a debt is exists against the people. And so when, when the executive branch, being the prosecutor, or the judge, being the judicial branch, when they determine that this debt exists, that's not being created by society. The people aren't creating that. Actually, different branches are. And the only branch that has legal authority to be able to create taxes is, in fact, the legislative branch, the people. So absent the grand jury, these 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 debts, these these uh, these um, supposed uh, uh, arraignment of, of charges, they're not legal. They're not valid because they're being created by a branch of government. It's not legally constituted to be able to create a debt against against the people. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's all these fraud elements. But so when you look at some of the things, another one, a huge one within the Declaration of Independence was that was that in most cases, the accused is is denied his right to trial by jury. In most cases. They're denied the right to trial by jury. The same thing was happening back then. They were being threatened and intimidated, forced into pleading guilty. That's why, that's why when, you, when you look at the, at the Bill of Rights, you go through it, it absolutely 100% is applicable today because the, the, the rights that we're being deprived in the courtroom every single day are the same things that's happened before. And when you think about it, you know, there's this old saying that, that how incredibly alike are all of the tyrants, but how gloriously different are each of the saints. The tyrants are always the same. They, they act the same way. If you want to predict the future, all you have to do is study the past mm. because the tyrants will always do the same things over and over again. I mentioned the last, uh, the last time that one of the first things I did when I went into, into prison was I copied the whole Black's Dictionary and Criminal Procedure Man. I did that because I knew from history that the first thing that they do when you rise up is they take away your books. I already knew that. You know, you can predict what they're going to do. And, and it was, I was accurate. The moment I did it, the next day, they were in there taking those books away. So, you know, we as, as, as society, we can look at some of the things that's going on and we can say, okay, this is how they're going to act. This is what they're going to do because this is how they did it in the past, you know? And uh, I'd love to illustrate on that, but I, I don't want to because that's a little bit, a little bit of strategy that I have that, that still exists within, within the, the case I bring forward. But we can do that. We can look at where we are today and we can actually predict where we'll be tomorrow based upon the historical acts or, uh, of the tyrant. Mm -hmm. And so, and so when, within the Declaration of Independence, we had all these allegations that were raised against the king. And, and, and we said, you know what, enough's enough. You know, we, we have the right to be able to be free, and uh, we're now declaring that right. We're now declaring that we are, are equal to you, uh, that a king is, is, is uh, created just like, just like I am. We both put up pants the same way. God created us both as being equal because God created us both. And God didn't create anyone to be uh, to be abused or trodden upon by his fellow man. And so that was the establishment of, of our, our Declaration of Independence. So we were dealing with an extremely oppressive and venal government that was that was locking us up for no reason, that were taxing us for no reason, that were uh, that were taking our, our children and our property. And we wanted to stop that. And so that's what we did. I mean, we joined together. We band together as a, as a group of, uh, of men. 
against the, the, the most powerful military force in history, a, a military force that has never lost in battle. And we went up against them with pitchforks and, and, uh, and shovels. I mean, you know, no one in the world would have thought that we could have won. But the reason why we won is because, one, we were fighting for each other. I, when you fight for freedom, you don't fight for yourself. You fight for the brothers around you. You fight for your children. You fight for your wife. You're not a hired militiaman. You're not a hired officer. You know, you're not fighting for the money. You're fighting literally for yourself and your posterity. And that's what that's what happened. So our forefathers, they they had they had a vision, and that vision was that we're going to be free, and that's what we got to fight for every single day. That's what we got to remember is that these things that we're entitled to, that, that we're given through our inheritance. We have no idea how, how valuable they are. I mean, these are the greatest treasure given to man, and they were given to us, and, and we're, we're allowing them to just be taken for, for what? I mean, so well, that's what that's again, this is quickly, this is why I have you here to, 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 to educate us on that because what's important and what you're describing again, this is the, the late 1700s or early 1800s, or you know, and the government has been doing and trying to take away our rights from the initial, from the beginning. This has been their agenda from gen it's, it's generational, you know, and, and it's, it's like you say, it's now they're continuing to do it now. And this is why this is important. So please continue. Yeah. Yeah. Like Thomas Jefferson said, I mean, power breeds tyrants, you know, uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion because, you know, because I look in the good in, in everyone. I'm of the opinion that there's no America and no American that wants to see the destruction of America. I think that the majority of the people that are violating our rights, I don't think that they really realize what they're doing. You know, I think that they're, that they think that they're doing the right thing. But as Nietzsche, the famous philosopher once said, he said, those who fight monsters should see to it that in the process, they don't become a monster, right? We created a system that was to, intended to fight monsters. And in the process, it has slowly uh, um, uh, become a, a, the, the monster itself. And uh, I think that personally, I, I do truly believe that, that once these people realize what is happening, what they're doing, and how destructive it is to our nation, how harmful it is to our people, I do believe that, that, that it'll, it'll change fairly quickly. You know, a lot of people say that this will never happen. Government's too big. And so government is nothing without the people. And if the people realize that every right that they take away from us, they're taking away from them, taking away from their children, they're going to say, you know what? I don't think I want to do that. You know, I may be the president today, but tomorrow my child is not going to, is not going to have the freedom. I don't think I want to do that. Right. And so I truly, truly believe that, that the reality is, is that once we realize as a nation, as a people, that the things that we're doing are destroying our own country and we're not, we're not seeking to preserve a state. We're seeking to preserve the nation because what is it that we love? Do we love Washington? Do we love California? No, we love America. And if we love America, and that's what we believe in, that's what we, then that's what we need to be preserving. And America is just not the United States of Washington or the United States of California. It's the United States of America. It is 50 regional governments, each with their own cultural values and their own individual values, each with their own voice to be heard within the nation. Because there's good ideas coming out of North Carolina just as much as there is coming out of California. And each and every single regional government needs to be heard. And, and so that's why... Our, our government's motto is e pluribus unum, out of many, one, because we're one nation. We're not 50. So when we start talking about these states' rights, we start talking about this individual uh, um, uh, ability to, to rule and govern regionally as, as, we, as we like, that's destroying our country. We can't do that. So, um, so once again, I mean, we had a, a venal impressive government that, that, that existed. And so we said, we're just, we're not going to do that anymore. And we we declared our, our freedom, and uh, it would be the same way that we would do today. That, that listen, you are not governance in the way that, that, that we see, uh, see fit, and so as a result, I am no longer subject to, to, um, to, uh, to obedience to the, to the government. So if you look at it, again, from a contract perspective, because that's all the Constitution is, is a contract. So when the people create the laws, the Constitution, we accept the obligation to not to give up certain rights in exchange, we will receive the guarantee of other rights to be preserved. So then what happens <clears throat> when government comes in, we give government the laws and then we say, here, administer these laws as written. And so as long as government is administering those laws and govern us the way that we have designed it to be governed, then we are subject to uh, obedience to the government. We must obey, right? 
But the moment that the government breaches its duty to govern us the way that we see fit, then we then have the right to breach our obedience to the government. So <clears throat> I'm not saying go out and break the law. I'm not saying go out and, and kill people. I'm saying that, that, that we have the right to be able to live our life now the way that we see fit. And if government comes in and says, no, we don't, we're declaring our, 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 um, our freedom. We're declaring our independence once again. And we're saying to the government that you must govern us the way that we, that we design. Otherwise, you're not legitimate. There is no validity of the government. And so we really just need the government to understand that, that it's subject to us. We make the determination. And when we say that, every single person that's within government, they're all subject to the same boss. And if they, if, they, if they continue to oppress us and take those things away, they themselves are losing them. That's why any freedom that is removed from one can be removed from all and is no longer freedom, but an illusion of freedom. If I can take away the gun rights from this individual for whatever reason that might be, maybe we justify it or not. If I can take away that rights from one this individual, guess what? I can take it away from everyone. So the argument that, that you can take away the, the gun rights of this person or, or whatever, that establishes the ability to take it away from all. And it's no longer freedom. It simply is an illusion of freedom because a, a freedom or a right is guaranteed to all. It, it can't be taken away from any because if you're able to take it away, and that means that it's a privilege now. Government then, then gives us that. And that's not where we get our freedoms. We get them from us. Therefore, we need to stand up for our freedoms. Do you have a question? Oh, um, so, so uh, again, there's a contract that exists. That contract establishes duties and rights because that's all the contract does. It establishes duties and it establishes rights. So the Constitution of the United States, the purpose of it, right? the, the beginning purpose is, it is to establish rights and to limit powers, right? So people have rights, government has powers. So when we talk about states' rights, there's some confusion there because states don't have rights, states have powers, right? And, and, and there's a, a bunch of, uh, of documentation that I've already presented as far as where that drives from, where the whole concept of states' rights come from. But people have rights, government has powers. Powers are intentionally limited by the constitution in order to preserve the right. So, you know, when you deal with the Constitution, it's, it, it's basically a, um, uh, it's a, it's a web of, of obligations and, and duties for the government. So it says to the government that, you know, you must, uh, uh, before you can hold someone over for trial, you must have an indictment by a grand jury. That's a, that's a duty. It's an obligation the government accepts by accepting the contract that the people presented it. Uh, another one would be the trial of all crimes with the exception of impeachment shall be by jury. Right. So that establishes the fact that the government must provide a jury trial in order to adjudicate crimes with everyone except for impeachment. So these are obligations and duties for the government. They're not necessarily defining rights. Our rights exist when the government breaches its duty to act. And it does it through the actions of the agent. So when you look at the law itself, the law is sovereign. The law is what rules over us. Right. So the law is, is correct. We must follow the law. But the law is actually executed through the actions of the agents. So when the agent breaches its duty, it's not the law itself that's violated. You know, we talked about that last week. We said, is the Constitution a, a racist document? No, actually, it's not. The, the, the law itself is wholly pure. It, 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 it functions properly because in the eyes of the law, there is no color. In the eyes of the law, there is no sex. In the eyes of the law, there is, you know, there is no man, woman. The law is applicable to all because it's not written to say that, this only applies to women or this only applies to men, right? It's not written that way. You know, so there was a question the, uh, the other week about the ERA and uh, that, that's the establishment of the Equal Rights uh, Act and, and whether or not it was actually um, um, ratified. ratified. Well, you know, the, the issue is, is not that whether that was ratified or not. The issue is, is that the Bible itself says that God created them, male and female. So a man is male and female, or we're, we're both. So to say that a woman doesn't have the same rights as a man is fundamentally incorrect, right? It, it is. And so we have equal rights. You cannot have a law that isolates or only affects one group of people because in an egalitarianism type government, that is not a valid law. That's why we have equal, equal uh, protection of laws. That's why we have the, um, um, the, the requirement for all laws to be equally applicable to all both the 14th Amendment as well as also in, the, in Article 4. So Article 4 of the main constitution says, the citizens in each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities as the citizens in the several states. Which means that when I'm in one state, I can't be deprived of right that's secured by and guaranteed by 
uh, by the Constitution and that's enjoyed by citizens in other states because that would be an equal protection issue. I'm entitled to the same rights and privileges as any other United States citizen, no matter where I choose to reside within the jurisdiction of the United States. And so th this argument on the ERA is uh, there's, no, there's no validity. We're all, we're all one. We're all the same people. And the moment that I choose to breach my obligation and take away your right to be protected by the Constitution, I just lost my own, my own right to be protected by the Constitution. And that's what we're doing to our country right now. The moment that we start pointing our fingers and we say, that person needs to pay, well, guess what? You yourself are, are, are going to pay. That's why the Constitution is built on the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you yourself would want to be done to you. Are we going to treat our neighbors as though the same way that we want to be treated ourselves? That's the real question. So, so at this time back then, we, we, um, we, we're, everything is in chaos and we're fighting for, as you said, you know, just our, our freedoms and our liberties. And, and, and we're understanding that um, we have to get Britain out of our house, right? And we have conflict going on. We have war going on. This is the, uh, is this the, the revolutionary war? I think we're at civil war. You know, we're, we're a little bit further along from, from revolutionary war. We, this isn't Britain that's in office right now. This is, this is the Southern states. You know, we thought that the North won the war, the civil war. But the reality is, is that all the, all the, the people we were fighting, the, um, uh, the, the, the terrorism from the South, we simply allowed them to come in and, and take political office all throughout the country. That's why we have slavery all throughout the nation. That's why we have so uh, we have jurist doctors. We have people with degrees in creating a slave in literally every political office across the country. That's the problem is that the North didn't want in the end. We just simply allowed the enemy to come and take over every single political office across the country. Slavery is not, is not okay. It's not acceptable. But wasn't the... But the Constitution was already constructed by the time the Civil War happened, no? Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was. But the, the enemy that they were facing is more along the lines of, of, of the southern states. It's the mm. influx of, of this democratic theory of government, you know. And <clears throat> I hate to bring it up because there's a difference between a republic, a republican form of government, which is what we were, were supposed to have, and that's defined within the Constitution of the United States. It says that we are to guarantee to the states a republican form of government and a democratic form of government. There's, there's a big difference between the two. We were never supposed to be a democratic form of government. This is not about political parties. This is about fundamental objectives of that particular form of government. And so if you look at the historical elements of it, the Southern states that were, that were allowing slavery, those were the democratic states. They were all democratic South, from, from South. And so in a democratic form of government, what happens is, is that each individual citizen participates in the in the process so each individual participates in the in the whole process and so what happens then is over time you get you get a uh, rule of the majority or mob rule because um because over time you get concentrations high concentrations of people within certain areas within certain certain regional locations and so the forefathers they recognize the fact that we're a very vast territory of of, of a nation with lots and lots of different individual regions. And we wanted to be able to have each one of these regions, these local governments, be able to have their own input and not be forced into doing what, what, what these individual uh, uh, super you know, um, population locations did. So <clears throat> their concern was a lot of what's happening today. Thomas Jefferson said that federalism is not about a single state or a small faction of states imposing their will upon the nation, but actually the states acting as an aggregate, as an essential buffer between the people and the central government. The purpose of the states were to protect the people from the from the central government, protect them. And so it wasn't to impose their will upon the nation. When you have a single state like California or Washington with a high concentration of <clears throat> a high population of people that's imposing then their will upon the nation, then you have disarming, right? Because the laws are supposed to advance based upon the will of the people. Suffrage, the voting is the act of the constituency, all of us. We all vote together and we decide to advance our laws based upon that, not based upon the will of one single location or one single region. So that's why we went with the Republican form of government was because a Republican form of government puts emphasis on the regional uh, governments and then allows for the, the equal input at the central government. So each one of them is represented equally. So we get input from North Carolina and we get input from California and there's no, there's no greater value among the two. And so we have this harmony that advances so we can recognize the fact that there's different cultural values all throughout the country. 
and we're not we're not going to eliminate them. We're not going to just silence them and say we don't care about you know what you do or how you act, and we're just going to impose our will upon you. So we're never supposed to be a democratic form of government. Every single democratic government in history, and you can go to all the philosophers from Josephus to Socrates to Plato, every single one of them said that the tyranny derives from a democratic form of government. There are four phases of government in a democratic government, and the fourth phase is a tyrant. At some point in time, we switched from a republic, and we're now a democratic form of government. And, um, you know, we've got these small independent factions of highly concentrated people that's imposing their will upon the rest of the nation, and that is causing this disharmony. You know, it, it, it can't be that way. We have to have representation from each one of these governments and ability to have our own input and have that input be recognized and, and valued and not, not imposed upon. Okay, so again, from, from my, I guess I'm confused a little bit because from my understanding, from my education, which I know is is government education when it comes to this here, you know, just school books from school or whatever I'm trying to remember. But <clears throat> I was always under the impression that it was the, the Revolutionary War and that, you know, we were trying to push the Brits out and form our own government. And then this is when, uh, as we will get into next week, the Bill of Rights and things of that was formed. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that we already have... Uh, we already have our freedoms already been established. And so, like I said, if you want to predict the future, all you have to do is study the past. And so we can actually see in, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, when you, when you are able to point out individual, individual things that are occurring, we can point out the point which we're actually at. And so let me give you a quick example. Okay. The Dred Scott case, which is actually what, 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 uh, um, what caused the civil war. So in the Dred Scott case, what happened was this, this individual that was a slave, he went from a slave state and his master brought him into a free state, right? And while he's in the free state, he recognized that, hey, I'm, I'm free because I'm within a state that has freedom. So what he did was he petitioned the United States Supreme Court saying, I would like to petition for my freedom. I'm, I'm now suing for my freedom. The question that was asked to the court was, does a slave have the right to be able to sue for his freedom in, in federal court? Now, the problem is, is that the Supreme Court, anytime you bring a, a civil rights case to them, it's not about what's right or wrong. It's not about what what's just or unjust. It's about what is the most cost effective. That's all that they care about, right? That's all that they have ever cared about all through history. So the court didn't want to make that decision because the court knew that, yes, that individual is in a, in a free state. If we rule on this, we are going to have to set him free. And that's going to open up the floodgates for all these other slaves to come in and, and start declaring their freedom. And they didn't want to make that decision. They didn't want to make the ruling. So anytime you, you sue in federal court, there's standing, right? You have to have standing. And so there's basically two requirements for standing. One is you have to be directly impacted by the law that's in question, right? Obviously, the slave was impacted by a slave law. There's no denying that. The second is you have to be a person, right? In some laws, it says a citizen, but in this case, it said a person. So the court had, in order to not rule on that case, the court had to decide one of those two things. It had to make either A, he's not a person, or B, he's, he's not affected by the law. They obviously can't do it by not being affected by the law. So they made the decision, we got to make this individual, this slave, this black person, not a person. So what they did was first they said that the citizen and person are synonymous with one another. They mean the same thing. So what the ruling was, was, was they were saying, we aren't going to make this ruling because this individual doesn't have standing. And what they said was that blacks are not and were not intended to be included under the word citizen in the Constitution. So what they said is that blacks weren't intended to be people when it comes to the Constitution. And in doing so, when making that ruling, what they did was they said, we're not going to rule on this, and now blacks aren't people, right? And that was a terrible decision, and that's what led to the, to the, to the start of the Civil War. Now, Dred Scott was supposed to have been technically overruled by the 14th Amendment. You know, uh, um, Representative Bingham, when he introduced it to Congress, and Senator Howard, when he represented it to the Senate, the, these, this bill, the 14th Amendment, both of them specifically stated that this was the intent. It was to overrule, technically overrule Dred Scott and declare that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are in fact citizens of the United States. And take away this whole concept or theory that, that, that the color of your skin dictates whether or not you're a person. This, this is just not valid. Um, I, I, I put out a posting today that kind of explains what happened, but after that decision was made, there's a reason why Dred Scott was brought back in. And what happened was, was that Wait, Chief Justice Wait, he wanted to advance the slave industry. He was a Southern state uh, sympathizer. He wanted to, yes. Well, 
I'm I'm severely confused here because I I think we got off off topic. This this was is a is is this still in line with the construct of of the Constitution and and leading into the bill because we're already talking about you know federal court rulings and the Fourteenth Amendment and all that. But we're 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 way past that at this point. Yeah, we we could we should go back. But um, but if I could just finish up the point here, and I, I won't go into Dred Scott case anymore, other than the fact that that. That case, even though it was technically overruled by the 14th Amendment, it was brought back in. And so what we see today is a lot of these rulings are deriving from that, that particular ruling. So when we look at the laws today, they derive from a specific root, you know, a, a, a case. So when the Supreme Court of the United States makes a, a decision, a ruling, it, it, it then flows out to all of the regional uh, courts for administration and, and acceptance. So these rulings that are then produced from that point forward until that case is overruled and, and removed from jurisprudence, from, from American, uh, American law, each one of these rulings are predicated upon that erroneous ruling. And so what happened to me was when I filed my civil action complaint in, in United States District Court, they said, we don't have jurisdiction. And I said, well, no, technically you do, because under Title 28, uh, 1343, it says that, that the district court has original jurisdiction of any civil action brought by any person. So civil action brought by a person. I did bring a civil action and I was a person. So I presented that to the district court. But what the district court said was, ordinarily we would have jurisdiction, but that provision or that statute can't be used by state prisoners, can't be used by slaves, which means that slaves are not people. We have the exact same ruling in, in the exact same form that was made by the judiciary that was made by Dred Scott. They said, well, yeah, we would have jurisdiction if you were a person, but State prisoners can't use that, that particular provision. State prisoners are not people. And it's the exact same context of the ruling. And so that's why I say that, that, that we're at a different stage within, within, the, within the, you know, the development of the nation. We want to look at where we were at you know, in, in the time frame. When they make that ruling, we are literally on the verge of civil war. I mean, I mean the same things that were, that, were, that were manifesting then are literally manifesting today. And, uh, you know... You also have the states, the southern states themselves that say, you know what, we're not going to follow the federal laws because we want to keep our slave institution. And when I filed my civil action complaint to the state of Washington, the response from the attorney general of Washington, Bob Ferguson, was the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply to the state of Washington. Or in other words, we're not going to give up our institution of slavery. So we have the exact same things happening. And that's why I say that, that we're a little bit further along than the, than the Revolutionary War, because if you look at the time frame, the things that are occurring within our country right now. We're literally, you know, there. I mean, we could we could go into civil war at any moment, and I, I I don't want to see that happen. We don't need to take that path, you know. Um, I don't believe that, that, that going to arms and guns are, are the way to do it. I think dialogue and, and speaking and and um, that that's where power comes from, convincing others that that this is the way that we should do it. And um, so I'm trying to create that, that dialogue. Well, the dialogue's been there. It's 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 just. The dialogue has always been there. It's just what kind of dialogue is it? And it's it's a very uneducated dialogue. And it's 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 this dialogue is uh, a lot of it is built upon lies and fallacy and things of that nature. This is right. some of the part why you and I connected to try to undo some of of the damage that has been done, if if possible. You know, if people are even willing, you know, to to still listen. And this is why I felt like to really, truly understand how the Constitution was conceived, the thought process of our forefathers at that time, wanting to get out of European control, wanting to get out of British control and establish our own Constitution, our own rights. And then, you know, the, the frame of mind behind that and then leading into how did this Constitution that was supposed to be built for the people turn its back on a certain person right which is what you're getting into now you know and right. and i think there's a lot of people that really want to to really understand how that happened you know it's it's not so much as as speeding through it and 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 because we know that it's what happened but people really want to understand where that shift happened so you have you have a race of people that we've left behind for 400 years and we're expecting these people just to get over it 
you know, yeah. and and it's understanding that gap. I just watched a TikTok yesterday with some ignorant white dude on there talking about, you know, his white privilege and where's it at. And I work, you know, 80 hours a week and I have these muddy boots and, and all of these things. What he's not understanding is, okay, that's you. That's one generation. But what you're not understanding is, is your, your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather, you know, the privilege that he had to go to a higher school of learning when there was people on the other side of the tracks that had no school of learning. And there was generations of that that was continuing. It was that your great, 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 great granddaddy had a job and was able to work. And the man that was across the street was being sent to prison because at that time you had peonage, right? As, as we get into about collection of debt, that if you didn't have a job, if you were unemployed, you went to prison. Well, a black man back then couldn't find a job. So guess where he was going? So this is what we're trying to understand and get people to understand is it's not just get over it, but the construct of how this constitution has been used against us yeah. and now we have people that are saying fuck the constitution it's racist it, it don't have anything to do with me this yeah. is the ed the uneducation that you and i hopefully can can undo so the the key to to the whole constitution and the thing that's been forgotten is is duties and rights that that is the absolute key to understanding where we're at today and, and, and where everything's gone wrong. The government and each one of the individuals, when they accept the oath, when they enter into the oath or affirmation that they will support the Constitution of the United States, they accept the obligation to do what is actually in the Constitution. And it actually says that in Article 6. It says the judges in every state shall be bound, thereby anything in the Constitution or laws of any state is contrary notwithstanding. So we have this case, this case from 1833. 1833 is when everything went awry. Right, it's a case called Barron versus Baltimore, and the case Barron versus Baltimore, the Supreme Court of the United States came out and said the Bill of Rights, which was ratified by the people on December fifteenth, seventeen ninety one, in all intents and purposes, that does not apply as a restriction against the states. Okay, that that was a decision that they made. They said that that is only a restriction against the the, the Congress of the United States. So. Obviously, that's an erroneous, unconstitutional decision. It was made for very specific reasons that we won't go into right now. But when they say that the Bill of Rights does not apply to the states, that means that you don't actually have the freedom of speech within the state unless the state's constitution expressly states that you do. They were saying that, that you are only entitled within the states, whatever the states give you. And your federal rights only exist within a federal domain. But what is the federal domain? I mean, I'm still within the jurisdiction of the United States. I'm still a United States citizen, no matter where I choose to reside. Am I not? Therefore, I should be entitled to those rights. But the court made that decision. Now, there's other reasons why it's a erroneous decision, such as the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution. So when you look at, uh, at amendments to the Constitution, right, that comes from the special amending procedures in Article 5. And it says that once ratified, amended, or, uh, uh, proposed amendments shall become part of the Constitution in all intents and purposes. So, yes. Anytime you amend the Constitution, you, you, you provide it because part of the Constitution, and therefore it is, it's in the Constitution, and the judges must do it within every state. So when the judicial branch makes a ruling such as that, it says, you know what? The Bill of Rights doesn't apply to the states. And I'll tell you, today, as of right now, that is still standing precedent. That's where all of our rights are being taken away. When you, when you say, I thought I had the right to freedom of speech, or I thought I had the right to a jury trial— they're pointing to that case, Barron versus Baltimore from 1833, and saying, you don't have this because of that case. It is still existing, standing precedent today. And, and, and that's not acceptable. So, yeah. Well, uh, we, we got to wrap it up. But on that note, um, get going into next week, uh, I would like to, to read off, you know, I'll go in and I'll read off the Bill of Rights, um, exactly what they are from the Constitution. And, and, um, and start discussing what these Bill of Rights mean to us, how they were uh, meant to be applicable to us. And then I would like to just start going through each of these amendments, Amendment yep. 1, Amendment 2, the, and, 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 and having dialogue on this. And then we will get into uh, just breaking down Barron versus Baltimore, because I am familiar with it, uh, and, and a lot of people aren't. What you're saying 
that has to be dissected because you probably just blew a lot of people's minds. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're like, well, how is, how is the number one, how is that still president today? People do not know. These are the things that are going on that people are not cognizant of and that this we have to dissect. This is the non-disclosure misinformation that I'm referring to. I say that, that the people have been kept in ignorant status as to the true workings and, and underpinnings of the system because of this non-disclosure. People don't know that. I have a degree in, in, in substantive law and a degree in forensics, and I had no idea because this is contrary to our uh, all American principles is that we're entitled to what the Constitution says. But that's not the case, and that's the, that's, the, that's the issue that we have, is that the American people have to understand that what they believe in today is not actually real, but it can be if we choose to make it real. It's up to us, because obviously they're not going to make the right decision. They're not going to correct their illegal acts that have been you know, perpetrated against the people for 230 years. They're not going to do that. It's up to us to step up now and say, these are our laws, and we're going to defend our laws. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, and that's why you're doing what you're doing. And Tanawa, thank you again for blessing us with, number one, your time, and number two, your education. Because as you said from the top, this is very, very important to everyone, but it's especially important to you. And I want you to be able to, to just lay out what you're, you're, you're a concerned citizen. This is what the channel's for. Um, and... This is what we're doing. So until next week, partner, you take care of yourself. And uh, you again, God bless you, yeah, God bless you. And thank you again and stay safe. Okay. Awesome. Thank you guys. See Bye. you next week.